tardiness but you know tech shit happens welcome to feminist buzzkills live a show that co-signs president biden's sentiment that peter Ducey is a dumb son of a bitch i'm liz winstead and with me are my fellow buzzkills and co-conspirators moji alabodale hello hi moj and the wonderful and talented marie Khan. hi marie Hello, Liz. Hi, everybody. Coming up on the show, Moji and I are going to talk to the lawyer who argued the case, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, before the U.S. Supreme Court and learn how that case in particular led us to this scary moment for abortion access. And to bring us back from the ledge, Liz and comedian Maria Bamford sat down for a hilarious TMI convo you don't want to miss. I mean, I might even toss a yeast infection trigger warning to the beginning of this conversation to be safe because it was really intense. But before I get to my chat with her, there is so much BS popping all over the country. I'm just going to start it out. So, folks, if you wondered this week, could anything be worse than watching Tucker Carlson alone in a room with a flashlight full of M&Ms? And the short answer is yes watching Oklahoma politicians propose a 30-day abortion ban. That's right, I said 30 days, as in one month. As in, is there even a test that can detect whether or not you're pregnant after one month? And stay with me, Oklahoma already has a 72-hour waiting period, so technically this is a 26-day abortion ban. So I guess you can have an abortion as long as your pregnancy is shorter than your menstrual cycle. Can you smell that? It's actually the stench of misogyny pouring off of this particular law. And contrary to the song, Oklahoma, you ain't okay. I mean, let's be clear. For years, while Texas politicians were sucking up the spotlight being all Regina George, Oklahoma has been her elusive stepsister, quietly plotting laws and playing with her own poop in the corner of the proverbial basement. Look, Oklahoma has tried over a dozen times to make abortion a felony. And finally, in 2016, it made it to the governor's desk, but the governor didn't sign it. Not because the governor was actually smart or actually understood the Constitution. The governor actually said, and I quote, the only way we can overturn Roe v. Wade is if we appoint conservative justices to the Supreme Court. Well, she got her wish and her dream court exists, but she's gone. Yay, right? Nope because she's been replaced by a governor who's been called the nation's most pro-life governor. And in 2021, this dude joined 11 other states to sign something called a trigger ban, which means if Roe v. Wade decides to overturn Planned Parenthood v. Casey or Roe v. Wade, 11, 12 states will immediately, including Oklahoma, stop access to legal abortion for any reason. Yep, and it's not just the governor who's a monster. I want to give you a taste of just who they elect to their state Senate. Twice, not once, but twice, Oklahoma's elected a guy named Ralph Shorty, who proposed a bill banning fetuses in food. Hey, Ralph, baby carrots are not carrots made of babies. Same goes for corn and the gap. Look, 
The only reason this nutbag left office was, wait for it, he was busted in a motel with a 17-year-old boy he met on Craigslist. He's serving 17 years in prison while he was in the Senate, was proposing a lifetime prison term for people who provide abortions. So this 30-day abortion ban from politicians in the state tells me that sooner rather than later, Oklahoma is going to become the Texas of Mississippi's. <laughs> But like, who knows they're pregnant at 30? No, wow. 27 days. I mean, <laughs> do they think we don't notice this is a total abortion ban? Because I notice. Uh, and, I don't think they notice anything. And this man, his only concern is making sure his meatloaf is 100% fetus free while, while he's off pedophiling, going after young folks in hotel rooms. Nope. Yeah, you know, Marie, that's what it means to be pro-life. Get it together, Khan. You should know that by now. But I, I know should, you're going to take this over to Virginia, dear, where things aren't much better. No, no, Liz. Virginia, unfortunately, reminds us that, guess what, friends? Elections do matter. This fresh Republican majority in Virginia has wasted no time in chipping away at abortion access, which has me wondering if Virginia is really, in fact, for lovers. The Virginia House of Delegates kicked off their session with a 20-week abortion ban, while Attorney General Jason Miaris came out swinging. He pulled the state out of a brief that defined Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban as unconstitutional. And then for extra points, he threw in Roe was wrongly decided and abortion is a state's rights issue. You might be asking yourself, where in the world is new Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin on all of this? Well, in the past, the youngster has brought all the love for limits on abortion. And last week, in fact, his Twitter feed was even all full of yay, March for Life love. So you can bet every single one of these ideas is on his abortion ban bingo card. We're pretty sure that Glenn hasn't been able to publicly bro sign onto all of this because he's had his plate full lately. He's been banning critical race theory and launching a tip line to turn in commie teachers who believe in evolution. So listen, I'm going to get a little bit mad on you for a minute because we need to learn some Virginia history. For the past few years, Virginia has had a good run with some incredible reproductive rights champions in their capital. But we can't forget that less than 10 years ago, Virginia was neck and neck with Texas in the horrible current abortion law race. And this current attorney general and governor duo are showing we could be going back there in a hurry. In 2012, then Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli saw the anti-abortion wisdom in pushing for personhood laws, ultrasounds, and ending abortion access even in cases of rape and incest. Basically, he was a pioneer of these Texas-style abortion bans we now have come to know. In fact, Cuccinelli focused so much on banning abortion and being all up in people's junk, it even earned him the nickname the Cooch. Now, the Cooch was really the wingman for the governor of Virginia, Bob McDonald, whose greatest achievement was pushing for and getting a forced transvaginal ultrasound bill on his desk. When Virginians heard the disgusting details of this law, the outrage was so intense, he dropped the transvaginal part, making it a kindler, gentler forced ultrasound bill. Add some amazing financial scandals into the mix and they were both booted out of office. Cut to 2022 now, it seems that 10 years later, Virginia has again elected Transvag Bob and the Cooch 2.0. So let this be a public service announcement to vote in every election and that I award a one-star TripAdvisor review to Virginia. 
if you are lovers looking for all pregnancy options. Listen, that so sucks. Maria, I want to remind people that transvaginal is literally a in the vag ultrasound. I had a full-term pregnancy yeah. and birth and uh, they didn't do that to me. It's not necessary. I mean, not at all. Can you imagine being so obsessed with invasive anti-abortion legislation that you get the nickname the cooch and actually <laughs> you guys everyone was calling him the cooch I, on the news they were calling him the cooch yeah. like everyone was calling him the cooch and the cooch failed upwards and actually got a high power position in the trump administration in the um homeland security department where he proceeded to be as garbagey with immigration as he was with our cooches it's a mess Moji, you got good news? I doubt it. <laughs> I don't. Unfortunately, <laughs> politicians who are anti-abortion are ruthless and sneaky and relentless. Anyway, you can't know what you don't know, right? It's just like that. And as of 2019, law students who wanted to study ways to defend us from reproductive oppression, they just couldn't find uh, classes on reproductive justice in one third of US law schools. In fact, some law students reported that some professors would just straight up avoid the subject of reproductive justice or abortion to not court controversy. Not only are those students who wanna focus on defending reproductive rights deprived of the education they need to do so, the absence of this curriculum means that other students who may become interested in reproductive justice concepts never even learn about it. And all of those students go on to litigate, defend laws, and craft public policy. So if we're not aiming, arming, I'm sorry, if we're not arming our law students with the best legal arguments that we need to defend our constitutional rights to bodily autonomy, we will lose bodily autonomy. And compare that to the other side. Conservative think tanks are throwing money at law students left and right to learn to litigate a very narrow, usually Christian-based ideology. Extremist law firms like Alliance Defending Freedom have a ridiculously well-funded fellowship called Blackstone that pumps out lawyers with the tools and sole purpose of dismantling civil rights for queer people, dismantling Roe, elevating personhood, and putting women in their place, which is way behind men, but a little ahead of gay people, unless you're both, then you're truly fucked. Uh, just, how num just how outnumbered are we? Blackstone, by their account, has graduated 2,300 lawyers. Alternatively, a similar fellowship in reproductive justice at If, When, How, and progressive organizations um, org has, has graduated 70 three lawyers. We are being crushed. So basically, most students leave law school having had maybe one class in row, and that's about it. So we're always on the defense because we've allowed abortion to be stigmatized, and the institution that teach our lawyers ignores how curtailing abortion access and elevating personhood leads to investigating miscarriages and incarceration, especially for poor people. We need lawyers trained to fight that and ensure a world where reproductive justice is a reality for everyone. Thank you for coming to my slut walk. Very, very, very proud yes, of you. Yes, Moji. I, you know, I wanted I to do a TED talk, but you know, no one's asked me yet. 
I know every time I hear the term slut walk, it's just changed into that scene from Game of Thrones when Cersei is walking. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> but I mean, I think that like that point, Moji, if we're if if you have to dig deep to learn how to become the best lawyer to litigate and defend these cases, and it's really hard for you to find that, how are we ever going to win? It feels really scary, and it also feels like we have the perfect guest to talk about uh, what what happens and litigation and how these laws came to be. And I'm going to turn it over to you and Marie to talk to our brilliant guest. Yes, yeah. we are so excited. We do have the best lawyer for this. Joining us now is an attorney, journalist, and expert on constitutional law who argued the landmark Supreme Court case, uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Her book, Controlling Women, What We Must Do Now to Save Reproductive Freedom, is the guide we all need to defend abortion access. Please welcome Katherine Colbert. Hi, Katherine. How are you? We're great. Thank you for joining us. Um, before we jump in, since you've argued cases before the Supreme Court, we wanted to quickly get your take on the retirement of Justice Stephen Breyer, the new news we just got. Well, I think it's uh, it's good news, uh, but not uh, game changing. So it's good news because uh, President Biden will have an opportunity to put another uh, liberal on the court. Uh, but the reality is, is we only have three votes for anything good on this court. And with Breyer's replacement, we will still only have three votes. Uh, I Everything I learned about arguing in front of the Supreme Court, I learned on Sesame Street. And the only number that matters is five, okay? So until we have five justices, we cannot depend on the courts. And you know, while I'd love to have more lawyers who care about reproductive freedom, there are plenty of them in the world. The problem is, we don't have a Supreme Court, and we don't even today have the lower federal courts who believe in our rights and justice for women. Uh, and therefore, we can make the best arguments in the world, uh, but we still won't win. And so for me, the critical thing is, how do we make change when we can't depend on the courts? Well, you, as I said, you argued in front of the Supreme Court, case, um, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and we think it should be as well known as Roe, but it just isn't. Um, since you argued that case, can you explain what it did and how it allowed states to keep passing these horrible abortion restrictions, like the Texas Wild Bunty Hunter law that's been in place for 150 days? Sure. So uh, in 1992, when I argued Casey, we thought that there were five votes on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe. Uh, and in fact, we were correct. Right after my argument, the justices went back, they voted to uphold the Pennsylvania restrictions, and there were five votes at that time to overturn Roe. What does that mean? It means that we no longer would have had the highest level of constitutional protection. It means that states would be free to ban abortion. That didn't happen because Justice Kennedy switched his vote and at the last minute said that states must permit abortion up until viability, usually between 24 and 28 weeks, and thereafter if the woman's life or health is in jeopardy. But what the court did is it said, states can pass additional restrictions so long as they aren't undue. Uh, that's legal speak 
for allowing a whole bunch of crazy state legislators to pass laws that make it more difficult, more onerous, more expensive, uh, more time consuming, just basically messing up women's ability to get abortions in the states. And that has happened in the 20 years uh, since Casey was decided. But today, and I, I just wanna be real clear here, we are about to lose both Roe and Casey. And that means we are in you know, much, much worse situation than we are at the current time. States will be free. All states in this country will be free to ban all abortion. And in my view, about 26 of them, half of the states in this country will do so, uh, which means that women across this nation, from Georgia to Texas, from Idaho to the Mexican border, will be unable to obtain uh, legal abortion. And therefore, we've got a whole lot of work to do uh, to change that circumstance. Catherine, you're also really speaking to and showing how our side has been historically really woefully absent on state and local politics. Your book gives great advice on where we can start doing homework on finding out how to figure out who your state and local politicians are and where they stand on abortion. Can you give us a few examples? Well, so the first and most important thing is our opponents have been working since 1973 to elect state legislators who oppose abortion. And we got to do the same. We don't have to just work in this election or in presidential elections. We have to work in every primary at every level. And that means, frankly, changing our mindset about local and state politics. Too often I, I hear people say, oh, I, I, I just don't like that person. I, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for them. Well, no, we can't afford to hold our nose any longer. We got to get active. And what does that mean? That means giving money, that means knocking on doors, that means writing postcards, that means making phone calls, that means getting active at the state and local level. And frankly, your audience knows how to find the activists on the ground. That's not really the issue. The issue is getting up off the couch and saying, this has to be our highest priority. And unless we do so, hundreds of thousands of women across this nation will be unable to obtain reproductive health services. Some will have severe health problems as a result, but more importantly, their ability to make important decisions about their lives will just be impossible. And we need to change that. Um, we are joined today by Catherine Colbert and we're talking about abortion access in this country. Um, Catherine, the people we talk to are feeling hopeless. What other ways can we as regular folks take ownership of becoming the solution? Well, you know, I always say uh, getting organizing is fun, right? It gives it you, get, you have an opportunity to work with people. You have an opportunity to make a difference in the world. Um, yes, we are discouraged. All of us. We've lived through a crisis over the last two years. Our our lives have been thrown upside down because of COVID, because of economic problems, because of all kinds of reasons. So the best in my view, the best way to solve problems is to get active and to make a difference. And that means having fun doing things. So I don't really care what you do, although frankly, I'd, I'd love to have you active in state level politics, but doing something is the antidote 
to uh, depression. Doing something is the antidote to, antidote to our feeling helpless because it's not going to change until we have a different court, a different state legislature, a different Congress. Uh, all of those things are critical. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. To learn more about how we can all take action for change, watch Catherine's TED Talk and get her book, Controlling Women, What We Must Do Now to Save Reproductive Freedom. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for joining us, Catherine. That was really important information. Great to be here. Uh, coming up, Liz sat down with the hilarious Maria Bamford, but first we're gonna take some time to reflect. And by reflect, I mean primal scream in a field while you watch, laugh, and learn from some of our videos. So it might not seem like it right now, but abortion is fully legal in the U.S. since 1973. And that really pisses off anti-abortion politicians. So they found a workaround, and that is passing TRAP laws. TRAP stands for Targeted Regulation of Abortion Providers. TRAP laws create absurdly stringent regulations that are designed to close clinics because they're nearly impossible to comply with. And oh my God, they pass these laws under the guise of women's health, which is the ultimate gaslighting. Because nothing's with women's health like closing a medical clinic. <laughs> Here are some examples of trap laws. Requiring clinics to be within 30 miles of a hospital. Some clinics don't have a hospital that exists within 30 miles. See how this works? Ridiculous building requirements regulating the size of the hallways, the exact temperature in the clinic, the literal length of the grass outside. I wish I was kidding. And let us not forget fetal burial laws where providers literally are required to bury or cremate every single aborted fetus and to somehow partner with a local crematorium or a graveyard and providers also have to pay for it and i cannot make this stuff up because it's a loss and it's real and you can read them abortion is already safe 14 times safer than childbirth colonoscopies have a much higher rate of complications but those doctors and those clinics are not subject to the same kind of regulations that's because trap laws aren't about women's health or medical safety they're about ending abortion they're concocted because they haven't been able to overturn roe and these laws make abortion seem dangerous while simultaneously putting clinics out of business. Don't fall for it, it's a trap. Don't get in a van. Don't, nobody's ever offered anything great in a van. We've identified over 200 unlicensed medical vans operated by anti-abortion extremists. Their purpose is to lie and coerce vulnerable pregnant people out of choosing abortion. Help us expose them and take action at ExposeFakeClinics.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Feminist Buzzkills Live. How about getting in a van with creepy people? Or not? Never. Maybe don't. I know. It's nope. like not great. Um, but we're back. We're Feminist Buzzkills Live. If you've never joined us before, the most important thing you need to know about us is a first word on our wordle is always abort. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the wordle. I'm obsessed. Um, so the first, so a few weeks ago, I sat down with the fantastic Maria Bamford backstage at her show in Brooklyn, and we talked about a lot of stuff. But mostly, what do you suppose we talked about? Um, so let's talk about abortion. Oh, abortion, and I've never had one. But oh, I have, I'm sorry. I know. I um, I don't know. Yeah, I have gone to a Planned Parenthood, though, and had an STD that was so bad that the doctor on, on call said, why did you let this go for so long? <laughs> this is a Planned Parenthood in downtown Los say? Angeles. So, you know, she's seen a few, yeah. a few ladies. She's and, seen some um, crusty. 
three bags. And all I could say was like, yeah, I don't. I was ashamed. I was just ashamed. I was just like, well, I guess this this stuff is just in my pants now. <laughs> like I just, I just didn't, I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't, I didn't have any money, and I was depressed. I was in, I didn't have the money for rent. I didn't. You know, uh, there's all sorts of things I was worried about that were more than that. Um, so, yeah. And then what was so funny, I got uh, an antibiotic to help the infection, and I got a terrible allergic reaction, which then I was taken to the hospital, which was like a $6,000 hospital debt that I paid off for about seven years in increments of 2 to $5. I can't recommend that enough. Um, <laughs> I just have to tell you that, that that story alone that you just told, A, um, is a, is longer than it actually takes to have an abortion. And really? B, way more costly. Yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. That's, I didn't know that it's so fast. Abortion, five minutes. And that's no cutting. Wow. Yeah, it's your in and out. Safe, safer than a colonoscopy. That, what oh you God. did is way more dangerous than having an abortion. Can you still go get a, like a hot fudge sundae after your abortion, just like you do when you get a colonoscopy? A hundred percent. In fact, if you bring the right friend, yeah, they should have it waiting for you. Like way from high school, just opened a fake abortion clinic Where? in his new town, and I one it's somewhere in Wisconsin. I saw it on Facebook, and I was just like, "What are you guys doing?" So wait, so when you call one of those things they'll they say come on in or yeah so they'll say oh are you pregnant and you're like yes i'm looking for an abortion mm -hmm. and they'll say something like oh we should talk to you about all of your options come in all right. and then you walk in and then there's somebody in there like with a lab coat that they got off of amazon or from the clinic counter <laughs> Right, and then they're oh, like, I love it. There's the theatrical. Oh, oh, very theatrical. And then they'll say things to you like, "Well, we'll give you an ultrasound. They have an ultrasound machine. No one there's a doctor. So then they rub jelly on your belly, and then say lie to you that you're either too far along or not far enough along. So that if, let's say you're right at the edge of legally having an abortion, they'll be like, "Oh, you know what? You've got some time. Why don't you come back in a month? And then you go back, and then it's like." too late for you to have your abortion. Oh, that's awful. Mm -hmm. You're somebody who I wanted to talk to mm -hmm. through the whole pandemic because I feel like when it comes to isolation, <laughs> talking about <laughs> literally, like somebody who has found a way to do their thing and then wrestle with all the shit we're all wrestling with, um, I think you could give people some wisdom uh -huh. about um, having to check in with themselves and finding out things about themselves that um, are new to them and then um, tackling them, let's just say. If you're a person who has some privileges, uh, I think it's okay to, to um, keep your, especially keep your, your mental suffering about those privileges to yourself or to uh, someone, because... Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just nobody needs to hear. Nobody needs to hear about that. I've heard yes, some new things of white privilege where it's like, you know, it's been so hard for me as realizing I have privilege, and it's just been like a lot of grief. Like, oh no, oh, my God. oh no. You um, know what I've realized? 
I have had lower back problems for years. And it turns out it's because all of the gold bullion I'm carrying in my purse has weighed down on my lower lumbar. Mm -hmm. And when I freed myself of that, a whole new world up and down. Yeah, and that um, I think you can handle it. And you can handle people being angry at you and uh, feeling that it is a lot of things are unjust. And you can handle things changing. Uh, we can handle it. We can handle it. I think that's a good way to go out. We can handle it. Maria Bamford says we can handle it. We can handle it. Thank you, dear. Thank you. I'm on this. <laughs> I love me some Maria Bamford. Um, if you've never seen Maria Bamford live, I'm just going to say it. She is my favorite comedian to see live. And you can find out her tour dates at mariabamford.com. Incredible. What a show. Let's bring everybody back. You, Isn't she great? Yeah, she's pretty funny. <laughs> She is great. Yeah. <laughs> we packed a lot of wallop into the show, friends. I feel like um, yeah. there was a lot of information. Honestly, it was just like, bam, bam, bam. Um, what were your biggest takeaways? Moji? Oh, mine is obviously that Marie can go Rachel Maddow on me anytime. Moji. Well, mine is that law schools are taking a real abstinence only approach to abortion law. <laughs> and I think mine is that I'm never going to borrow pants from Maria Bamford. <gasps> Are you crotch shaming? Liz. <laughs> no. What she said to me, I think this just lives in my pants now. I was like, oh, I think I love you, but I'm not going to borrow any pants. Um, that is it. well that is a wrap folks that went really yeah. fast holy moly yeah. how did we um i mean we started late and we kept it moving but uh started yeah late, everyone kept it moving, and uh now here we are moji take us away take us yeah, out. everyone that is our show i want to thank katherine colbert and maria bamford for joining us and please check out katherine's book controlling women what we must do now to save reproductive freedom and head to mariabamford.com for all of her tour dates. That's right. And do we have a show coming up next week? The amazing Amanda Seals from Insecure and a comedian and an activist is joining us live. Plus, Marva Sadler, the incredible clinic director from Whole Women's Health, is going to be here to bring us updates on what it's been like providing abortions in Texas since uh, for 150 days of having it be basically banned. And that's going to be great. Plus all the important abortion news that rears its ugly head. And finally, we leave you with Coach Dave, who takes another dive into the abortion conspiracy theory swamp and emerges showing his whole ass. Also, we're really perplexed. And if you can see where anyone makes a profit using this business model, please email us. Thanks. I don't know if you guys know, know this or not. Many of the people who go into Planned Parenthoods to have their babies killed are what they call breeders. Breeders. They, they do it over and over and over. They're paid to get pregnant, to abort the baby for satanic rituals. Did you guys have any idea of that? Did you know that? Did you understand that some of those women walking in there aren't just troubled women, aren't just caught themselves in a bad situation? They're breeders.
They do it over and over and over. We don't want to believe that, do we? Uh, that, no, Coach. No, you've got it wrong. Do I really? Feminist Buzzkills Live is a production of Abortion Access Front. Subscribe to our YouTube at aafront.org slash fbksub.